This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. In this week's podcast, Reviews Editor Rebecca Franks joins me in the studio to talk about the September issue's recording of the month, Bruckner's Symphony No. 9 in a Deutsche Grammophon recording by the Lucerne Festival Orchestra conducted by Claudio Abbado. It's poignant not just for the quality of the musicianship here, but also because it was conductor's last concert with this phenomenal group of musicians. Um, It really is a phenomenal recording, and these musicians really are phenomenal, aren't they? They are. I mean, this is a, a hand-picked orchestra um, of some of the world's uh, top musicians playing with, you know, real creme de la creme <laughs> um, of of the musical world. And this was a and Claudio Abadio was a conductor that they loved and admired and, and revered. And that relationship, I think, I don't know if it's become a cliche now to say it, but was a really special one. And mm. I think the results speak for themselves on this CD. Well, before we carry on talking, let's hear an extract from this CD we're just about to talk about. Um, We'll hear the opening of the second movement, the scherzo.
So that was an extract from the, um, the second movement scherzo, uh, Bruckner's Symphony Number no. Nine. What I think stood out, I think, from what musicians said about Claudio Bardo is he had this wonderful galvanizing ability. Whereas rehearsals were quite, you know, relaxed and um, almost as if they were simply playing through the music. But as soon as he came onto the stage for the actual concert, there was something magical in the air. I think he the, the sort of key word with him was the idea of listening. That he really wanted. To, to all the musicians to be listening to each other, which of course sounds like a self-evident thing for musicians to be doing. But, you know, for him, it really was the music above ev- everything else, above any ego or any um, kind of idea of interp- adding an extra layer of interpretation. It's about getting back to the music and getting people, musicians to listen. And somehow he managed to, to bring together all these musicians who probably had different ideas from their own musical careers to do and, that. And what's interesting about this is that we did have a Bruckner 9 as recording of the month s- several months ago, um, last year sometime, I think, uh, with uh, Simon Rattles. Yeah, so a couple of years ago now, it was actually. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Simon Rattles' four-movement version of, of, the, of the Bruckner 9 with a completed finale. And, 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 and what's, um, I think, quite refreshing about this recording is that Claudio Bardi just didn't believe that the symphony should be completed and left it as its sort of three-movement entity with this um, adagio at the end, which seems to sort of just disappear into eternity. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the the Simon Rattle and Berlin Philharmonic recording of the four-movement uh, completion, because there was actually quite a lot of, of Bruckner's um, sort of own uh, uh, sketches, you know, enough left to create a fourth movement. It's an absolutely fascinating recording. But for me, personally, I just think, uh, and I think... a, a Bardo thought that the three-movement version was the one to go with. We should just respect history in a way. And it, the utter commitment and belief, just it sounds complete. It doesn't that sound like it needs anything else no. to, to finish the journey. No, and what really does, uh, I think, make that apparent is the beautiful string playing that you get here. I mean, it, it, I have not heard string playing like it in, in a long while, and that's presumably thanks as much to the recording engineers as it is to the, to the wonderful musicians here. Um, I think it would be lovely to hear that bit about 16 minutes in in the final movement which we were talking about just before sounds remarkably like passage of Vaughan Williams. So that was an extract from the third movement of Bruckner's Symphony Number no. Nine. This was really Bruckner's last sort of will and testament, wasn't it? This was dedicated to God. Um, the Adagio was the farewell to life. He called it. The Adagio was a farewell to life. So it really does make this performance all the more poignant. It, it does. And what I re- especially loved about this um, performance is that sometimes I think moments of this symphony, we were talking about the scherzo, that kind of relentless theme. It, it can feel um, perhaps a little blocky a little uh, kind of repetitive in a way um 
But this is nothing like that, this performance. This is so natural, so flowing, um, just a real warmth that comes through as well. And there's the sort of ugliness and the, the harsh distances, but there's real kind of lyricism and transcendent there is, moments. There's a joy, isn't there, to the playing? Mm. I mean, there's a real... The scherzo can feel very uh, hammered sometimes, can feel very aggressive. Um, you, you get the sense that it is, although it's quite satanic still, you get the yeah. idea that it's a dance, this scherzo. You know, the tempo just seems to be just a little bit quicker the although it does feel quite aggressive, it just seems a little bit lighter. There doesn't seem to be that um, sense of doom you get. Yeah, and I think it was interesting. I, I spoke um, to the, uh, the conductor who was assisting Claudio Bardo last year, and you know he was describing. Um, sitting, listening to CDs, going through the score with him, discussing a lot about the tempo. I think that was one of Abado's sort of prime concerns in a way, to get those tempos right. And I think that's what kind of really makes this work. It's such a huge work, but it just kind of flows along in this sort of inevitable way, I guess, but not in a, as you say, not a sort of foreboding or heavy way. <laughs> and, I, and I think one aspect is the brass playing must be noted as well. The horns and the trombones in particular, f f for me, certainly really stand out in the first movement, really giving the recording a real sort of burnished quality right from the start. So you get this real sense that this is... This is recording that has has got the very best players has got the very best conductor it's almost sort of setting a, be setting a benchmark and a challenge to everyone else to to, to, to give such perfect reading of this yeah play. i mean this kind of spiritual depth that he that he the, they all together seem to reach in this it's i think it's really incredible and it's something a, that's breathtaking yeah so we hear an extract from the first movement that was the opening movement of Bruckner's Symphony No. 9, performed by the Lucerne Festival Orchestra, conducted by Claudio Bardo. What they've left us with, what he's left us with, is this wonderful um, legacy of recordings, I think. Yes, there's another um, recording that particularly stands out in, in recent years for me, which was their recording of Marla 9, and one of these other great romantic symphonies kind of hovering on the edge of, of life and death. And that was out on, on DVD, I think, a, a couple of years ago. Um, and what apart from all of the music, what really I remember is the ending where it's just incredible, incredible silence where nobody in that concert hall is moving. Mm. Um, and he just had that ability to really take you to, to somewhere unexpected and different. But Cla Claudio Bardo, I think, has been, had, been, had been living life on, on an edge for a long while. He had a cancer scare about 12 years ago and has been living under the shadow of that up until his death. Uh, yes, yeah. There was a, 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 I was just sort of doing a bit of reading about um, some, some interviews with him, although he didn't really give many interviews. He was sort of notoriously shy in a way. Um, but apparently he told Simon Rattle that his illness was terrible, but the results had not been all bad. Somehow I now hear from the inside of my body um, as if the loss of my stomach has given me internal ears and I cannot express how wonderful that feels. So obviously it did 
in a way transform his I, perhaps his understanding of life or death and mm. without wanting to sound really crass about it did well maybe it gave maybe it gave him a sort of um maybe he felt he had a a license as it were to say things about these symphonies i mean one has to be quite daring i think to to make recordings of these symphonies and say something new about them and i think perhaps he had something very special to say about them particularly with this this group of musicians with whom he could he could shape and mold and they would follow exactly what he he wanted there was an incredible trust i think wasn't there between all those musicians incredible mm. trust and respect and i think as well you mentioned the word joy i think uh, apparently in this concert he you know who's would always come off the stage with a with a smile and um a sort of awe at what the musicians were capable of doing and a, a love of the music he wanted he was conducting when he was very ill and very weak and that's what he wanted to do the music was what gave him and those magical silences at the end and also throughout the symphony actually you know bruckner can be quite um can, can sort of segmented if you like um and, and the silences are as powerful as much of the music that he made with them he really knew how to create the most wonderful atmosphere that I, th I think is such a rare gift. Mm. So to draw this podcast to a close, let's hear the ending of the third movement, um, not necessarily the ending that Bruckner intended, but certainly the ending that Claudio Bardo wanted on this recording, um, the Adagio from Symphony No. 9. that brings us to the end of this month's podcast join us next month when we'll be discussing the october issues recording of the month goodbye goodbye thank you for listening to this bbc music magazine podcast which was produced in our bristol studio by jack fletcher for more of our podcasts visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to itunes